Welcome to the Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Lucas Felton. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcasts. I'm your host, Lucas Felton. Some lessons in running span generations. This week, we have another two-part special with one of America's best from the 1980s and one of its current rising stars. Both will share the secret sauce to their success. More importantly, during the podcast, you get to hear and connect how their approaches to training, while different, share the same common threads, lessons you can apply to your own training. Our first part features Benji Durden, one of the country's best marathoners in the early 1980s and late 1970s. A largely self-coached athlete who later coached former Runners Connect interview guest Kim Jones, Benji now runs a race timing company in Boulder, Colorado. Like many of his running contemporaries, Benji ran a great deal of races, even in the middle of marathon buildups, and often only two days after the longest run of the week. Some of the key points included Benji's training and how he blended frequent racing into marathon training, the potential benefits of frequent racing and why every race doesn't need to be a test of one's full potential, and the nuts and bolts of timing races, which is a nice insight on how you get timed in all the races that you run. Benji, thanks so much for being on our show today. Can you start out by telling us a bit about yourself and how you got started in the sport? I was okay, but not great through high school and college. And then after college, um, discovered I had an aptitude for running marathons almost accidentally. How'd you figure that out? Well, I was trying to qualify for the 10,000 trials and just didn't have the speed. So I made a couple of efforts to try to qualify for the marathon and finally did after the 76 trials. And just, you know, by, by making an effort to qualify, I, I discovered I was fairly good at it. Interesting. So who were some of your early you know, influences or inspirations in the sport? Well, uh, Frank Shorter's performance in 72 certainly inspired me to consider the marathon. Prefontaine and I were contemporaries, though I never ran against him, but he was certainly an inspiration. And Jim Ryan was sort of my first track and field inspiration because he was in high school as I was in junior high. And it was sort of, well, if he can do that in high school, maybe I can, which wasn't actually a possibility, but it was something that led me to try. Tell us a bit about your uh, your training during your elite running years. Um. It was a little bit atypical. It was somewhat Bowerman-like. Uh, I, I had some pretty hard days and some very easy days. My easy days were 45 minutes or less of just easy running. My hard days consisted of one day of track work, somewhere between 800 and 1,000 repeats, about 10K pace. Probably that day I would get in 20 to 25 miles in two runs. Uh, I'd have a a long run day where I do two and a half hours in the morning and maybe an hour in the afternoon. And then I would have a, a race day that was going to be a training race. I'd run you know, anywhere from 10, five miles to 25K, mostly 10Ks, and then do another run that afternoon. Now, that was a typical week. So did you adjust training for different race distances? Because as you were saying, like a lot of guys in your era, you raced quite frequently. Yeah, I raced a lot, but virtually all my training was geared towards the marathon because that's where we could really make an impact financially as well as a, a, if you weren't a marathoner at that point, you weren't a road racer. 
so I really I didn't do anything specifically for anything. I just ran through non-marathon races or training races. Interesting. So did you have a coach during that time, or did, were you pretty much coaching yourself? I had coaches off and on. My college coach was totally ineffective. He was a hurdler and didn't have a clue about distance running. <laughs> had a friend uh, who post-college gave me some guidance and, and taught me a bit about the Lydiard system. I read stuff about Bowerman and learned his ideas basically through reading and never really got any direction from him. Most of my best years I was uncoached, although I had occasions. Mike Caldwell, another friend, coached me for a couple of years. But it, very little of the coaching was different from my own philosophy, which was work hard and rest well. So did you do any kind of non-running training? I did Nautilus. Um, and actually, except for my 800, all of my PRs were post-Nautilus. So when I started doing Nautilus work three days a week, I really improved my performances. And um, off and on, I had periods where I did three to four days a week of swimming. Um, I'd swim about a mile at a time. and um, That was primarily my cross-training, those two things. So did you, and did you have any kind of specific workout that you do for the marathon? Well, everything was geared toward the marathon. Yeah, the, the speed work, uh, you know, doing speed work at 10K pace was not really doing speed work for shorter races. Um, that was just, you know, 10K pace was certainly sufficient speed for a marathon, and I'd do enough of it. I, I never did much more than 5K to 4 miles of speed work in a session. Um, the long run was slow, which was counter to what most my peers are doing. I'd be doing 7-minute work um, for most of my long runs, but I think it helped me burn fat more efficiently. And then the, the races that I did almost every weekend were frequently not much faster than marathon pace. Just because it didn't take any faster than that to well, win? Or? If you're doing 85, 95 miles in a week and you're tired, um, you can't run that fast as you, in your average 10K. You know, I do my, my uh, long run on Thursday before a Saturday or Sunday race. Okay. To each their own, I suppose. Um. How did you approach fueling during the marathon, or did you in those days? There really weren't any fueling options back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I suppose you could have, if you could arrange it, you could have had something like Defiz Coke. I know Frank Shorter and Kenny Moore did that. But for the most part, you had to prepare your body to burn enough fat that you didn't need to worry about fueling. You, you'd take water or occasionally Gatorade. It was occasionally available, not very often, but water was your primarily you know, hydration, and hydration is about all you really could worry about. Interesting. So how did you kind of mentally approach your races? Um, well. If you uh, had a specific strategy. I didn't have a specific strategy. One of the things I did do that I don't hear anybody talking about very often is I would rehearse in the weeks coming up to a marathon all the problems I'd ever had in a marathon and either how I'd fix them the next time I encountered them or how I'd how I fixed them when I did encounter them. So I'd, I'd rehearse having issues and overcoming them. Interesting. Did that help you at all? Did that well, come up a lot? a few marathons where things, you know, you, you, marathon's a long time to run without possibly going wrong. And I had a few marathons where things went wrong and I didn't panic and I was able to, to make adjustments and come back and still run well. 
So how did you get into coaching? Well, I got into coaching. Um, a friend of mine and I, we were training buddies, he, he wanted to have a fallback position because he wasn't making that much money running. And he and I started a coaching business in, in Atlanta. And I started coaching a few people. He coached a lot more. And over the years, I started, um, you know, people would ask me if I'd coach him. And sometimes I'd say yes. And it just sort of snowballed. It wasn't really, I didn't sit down and think, okay, I'm going to be a coach. It just kind of, one thing led to another. So how do you go about putting together a program for somebody who asks you to coach them? Well, a lot depends on what they want. You know, some people just want to, you know, run a good 5K, and some people want to run a good marathon. And I've even tried to, I don't know how successful I was, but I tried to help some guy get ready for the um, Badwater um, Ultra Marathon. And again, I don't know how success <laughs> I had it. We worked together for a little while, and finally I came to the conclusion that we weren't working that well together. But, um, it, you know, I, I, I know what my basic rules are, and I try to follow those basic rules. But I also try to incorporate the strength and weaknesses of the individual because everybody's a little different. And just because one thing worked doesn't mean it'll work the next time. What are some of your basic rules? Well, you, you don't want to have two hard days in a row if you can avoid it because your body needs that recovery day in there, sometimes two recovery days to adapt and prepare for the next hard day. Um, you don't want to overdo any hard session because after a certain point you're you're not gaining, you're breaking down. Um, <clears throat> you don't want to race your workouts. Uh, you can you know, save that for the races because there's only so much mental stress your your body can take until you you know you're not really able to do it anymore. So you want to save that. You know, like I say, for a race effort, race effort should be races, not training. Uh, and you want to do some cross training to make sure you don't have weak areas that you're ignoring. So what do you think is, so of those things, do you think there's one or another that most runners don't do and could and maybe should be doing? I think most runners overtrain, put too many hard days into a week, uh, put too many hard efforts into a single workout. Um if, if a little bit of training is good, more training should be better. That's, that seems to make some sort of logical sense. It's not, but you know, a, lot of, a lot of training is counterintuitive. How do you mean? Well, you'd think that if I work more, I will be better. You, you think that counter, you know, intuitively you think the more training I can do, the better I will be when I get to the race. And I suppose if you're starting off at 10 to 15 mile a week, training program, that's true. But eventually you're going to reach a point where you're not only having diminishing returns, you're having reduced returns, where you, you know, the training is now taking you backwards as, as instead of taking you forward. I'd rather somebody be under-trained and get to the fin starting line and then the finish line than over-trained and not be able to even start the race. Definitely sounds Bowerman-like. Um, so a previous guest I had on this uh, interview series was uh, Kim Jones, who you coached for most of her career. Uh, talk, tell us about that uh, about that experience. Well, it, it was a fairly unique experience in that I very seldom ran with Kim. <laughs> a few times a year because she was in Spokane and I was in Atlanta or, or Boulder. So that, that made it a little different. But I had friends in Spokane that would give me feedback 
beyond what, you know, Kim would tell me everything she was doing, but sometimes I need other eyes to tell me, okay, she was really tired in this workout, and, you know, when she would not tell me. But in general, Kim Kim was a very uh, mentally strong, very aggressive runner who mostly just had to be held back. Um, I mean, I, I don't really think it was difficult to coach her at all other than just keep her in, under control so she didn't didn't break herself down. And her regimen, her training regimen, and I've read her book, describes, it sounds similar enough to what you were doing, although it sounds kind of even more extreme on the hard days and the easy days. Like, you know, three-mile run followed by, you know, a 30-mile day or something. How did you get to that system? Well, some of the some of the stuff, it just, you know, just kind of happened that way. But, um, you know, mostly I tried to, I tried to have a workout similar to mine, but every now and then you, she probably, in her book, she describes some of her more extreme right. workouts. And I had some pretty extreme workouts too, but they weren't consistent. They were like two or three times a year. Mm-hmm. They weren't like every week we did this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and sometimes circumstances require that you break your rules. Um, because, you know, sometimes that's just the way the week falls or, or you know, like I, I, I have run three races in a weekend simply because that's the way things worked out. Speaking of that, do you think that more racing is something that other people, that, that everyday runners maybe could and should do? I think so, although the caveat to that is they don't need to take every time they run a race as something they need to, to taper for as well as just mentally psych themselves up for it because you can only do that so many times a year before you're starting to go backwards in your in your training. Um, racing is a skill. And even if you don't race up to your full potential, you learn things when you race. You learn, you know, how, how close to the edge can you get? How, um, how well can you recover backing off 10 seconds a mile? Um, those, are, those are things you can't get in training. You can try to get them in training, but it's not the same. And also racing, for, for especially just the common man, is a very social situation. Um, there's a lot of value in that, just having the socialization and going out and running with, with a group of your peers. And as long as you're not letting it interfere with your training, I think it's beneficial. Was that part of the reason that you raced a lot, or is that just No, I it? raced a lot because, one, I like to race. Okay. I mean, I'm looking at a lot of these things from, from hindsight. I like to race, and it was also how I made my living. Fair enough. So what kind of running and racing do you do these days? Um, I run marathons almost exclusively for, quote, races, unquote. I'm very slow now. <laughs> uh, so calling them races is at the edge of, of um, being true. Next weekend, I hope to run my 100th sub-four marathon. Um, I've done 101 marathons now, but two of them recently went over four hours, and that wasn't something that made me real happy. <laughs> I, sure. I had I had extenuating circumstances, but still, it didn't make me happy. And was it you? Had, was it twenty five under two twenty? Uh, I guess that's about something right. like that. That's yeah. I I don't keep that in my mind that often, but it's something in that ballpark. Yeah, when you compare me to Dennis Curtis or uh, Shell Eric Stahl, I'm I'm a piker. So, what advice would you give to somebody just getting ready for their first race? Um. You need to make sure you don't go out too fast. Doesn't then doesn't matter how far you're going. The excitement of that first race, you can just 
get going really too quick. Then you'll suffer in the second half or latter third of the race. Um, and remember, it's not going to be your last race. It's not the end all and be all of everything. You try to have a good time as much as your nervousness, etc., will let you. <laughs> well, you hope it's not going to be your last race. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always possible, but it's improbable. So, one this is a bit of a touchier topic for some people. Um, there's a lot of people who go out and run and run races. Maybe they don't. How do you think more of those people can end up being, you know, fans of the sport? Because most of the people say would wouldn't know who Benji Durden is. Would have no reason to. Well, along that line, I was timing a marathon in Utah this spring. And the winner came up to me afterwards and said somebody told him I was a good runner. He hadn't heard of me, but I said, yeah, I noticed you were drinking Frank Shorter's uh, replacement drink out there because he had a bunch of defense Coke. And he said, Frank who? And this is the guy that won the race. <laughs> um, and I don't really know what to do to change that. Uh, I, I mean, I, I certainly don't anticipate many runners will know who I am. Um, I've encountered... In marathons, people ask me what my PR is, and I've told them, they said, is that fast? <laughs> and, you know, you, you know, well, yeah, we're going about half that speed right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reality is it's become, participation has become more important than competition. Uh, people aren't really striving that hard to improve their performance. They're striving just to participate or collect events. And, I, and that's okay. I mean, I make my living timing those people. But at the same time, we need to remember that competition is not a bad thing. And ex, pursuit of excellence is not a bad thing. It's not elitism. It's just pursuing being the best we can be. Um, and not everybody is a winner. I mean, this is not true. There is a winner. And there, everybody can win in their own way by improving themselves. But if you're not trying to improve yourself, you're not a winner. You're just a participant. Uh, and I don't know how to make that home, you know, come home to people. I mean, we've spent the last, I guess, couple of decades telling people that all you got to do is participate and you're a winner. And that, I think, is, has been counterproductive. It's certainly got a lot of people out there, but they're not trying very hard. It's like um, the rock and roll series, picking people up that have fallen behind the uh, required finish time and driving them to the finish and dumping them out and say, okay, go over there and get your medal. That... That mindset is not helping us at all. I mean, you you need to earn that medal. You don't need to be taken for a ride for 10 miles so you can go over and pick it up. Fair enough. So outside of the of the participation thing, you know, how do you think, like, like you, as you said, you time a lot of races. What do you think maybe a race can do to, you know, have the person who's running a five-hour marathon be a little more connected with, say, the person who's winning in 230 or 220 or whatever it is? Well, I think uh, it depends on the, why they're running five-hour marathons. I mean, I, first, I don't disrespect five-hour marathoners because my wife is, is in that ballpark some of the time. And you, you get to a certain age and, you know, you slow down. But at this, on the other side of it, if, you know, you're a 30-year-old and you're running a five-hour marathon, you probably are not trying very hard unless you have a physical disability. Um, I, th I think what we need to do, though, is maybe come up with, maybe we don't need to celebrate the winners, even though I do want to celebrate the winners, but maybe we need to celebrate the achievements of, you know, and have, like, graded prizes. 
the Vulcan run was a 10K I used to run years and years ago. I think they still have it, but I'm not sure. And if you were in the top 10%, you got a gold T-shirt. The next 20%, you got a silver T-shirt. And then everybody else got a bronze T-shirt. Huh. Maybe we need to do things like that where, we, where you have to earn a special T-shirt or a special ribbon or a special medal by pushing yourself a little bit more. Um, you know, because right now, if, you know, people people want to get the finisher's medal, but if the finisher's medal changed throughout the event, maybe they'd push themselves a little harder. That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't hadn't thought about that, and I do believe they still hold that run. I uh, I came across it in in something in a Google search the other day. Well, if you do a Google search and find my Facebook page, there's a uh, video up on my Facebook page of me winning it once. Nice. I'm sure longer ago than you'd care to think about. Oh, oh yeah, that was, I think that was 81, so that was... <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, tell us a bit about, about what goes into timing a race and running that kind of thing. Well, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that people don't realize. I mean, there's all that database work, making sure that, you know, you get all that correct and, and in the right place. And it's amazing how many people can't figure out what gender they are. <laughs> how old they are we'll get uh birthdays of 2014 and they think they're 27 hmm. uh so we get all that fixed that takes a bit of time then figuring out what the the awards are going to be because race directors change their minds sometime the last minute and getting all that organized and then setting up all the equipment these days with chip equipment that the setup is a lot longer than it used to be making sure all that stuff works. I, I used to could get to a race about an hour before the start and easily ever everything set up. Now it's two and a half to three hours. Um, and then it usually takes me another hour plus to tear everything down. Um, so for a typical marathon weekend, it can be 12 to 13 hours on site um, from getting there to set up and finally tearing down and driving away. And I don't think a lot of people realize how long that you know, just for the timer. That's not for everybody else. That's just for the timer. Right. And of course, there's all kinds of things like, well, you know, they got my time, the results got my time wrong and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, and, and you get that and then you'll, you'll get back to them and say, well, did you wear your chip? Well, no. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> um, how do you want me to fix this then? <laughs> and, you know, I put up video cameras. I usually have two video cameras and, um, we do a lot of redundancy timing, and we do our best, but we're you can't be foolproof if you're dealing with humans. No, that's true. So I just have kind of one more thing. Um, it's a last little series of things that I've uh, been asking everybody. So what was your pre-race meal? What did you eat like the morning of a road race? Nothing. I, did, I didn't eat mornings of road races. Nothing? Nothing. I, I, I'd have a little bit to drink, but in general, I found eating tended to, particularly for a marathon, tended to get me into the toilet, which I didn't need to do. Mm, no good. So what was your favorite workout to do? I, I actually enjoyed the long run the most. Um, a, a, a solid two-and-a-half-hour two run was my bread and butter. What was your favorite race event that you ever ran? My favorite marathon was the Nike OTC in Eugene, Oregon. Um, 
And I think there's a different race that I like the uh, the Charleston Distance Classic 15 mile. It was brutal, but I liked it. Um, we ran uphill for about five miles. It seemed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long race. I think they still have that race too. Probably do. I haven't been back to it since the late 70s, but that was a, that was a fun event. What would you do for fun when you were competing? Well, I mean, at non-competition. Well, during your during the years when you were competing, I know, what would but you I mean, do? Be, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not, not during the. Um, I like to read a lot. That was relaxing. Um, there wasn't too much in the social realm that I did. I, <laughs> I I didn't drink beer, so I didn't get you know get along with the guys that went out after the race to have a bunch of beer because I I just never liked beer, so that didn't work. Um, but I, I like reading. I like puzzles. I there was actually a CBS, um, C, CBS yeah clip. I think it was from Cascade Runoff where I solved uh, Rubik's cube in 35 seconds while they were there. <laughs> That's funny. And finally, what race would you have loved to run but haven't got a chance to? Um. Well, London and Brighton. I don't think I'll ever get a chance that they've discontinued that one. Mm. I've uh, considered trying to do comrades, but every year it gets longer because I get slower. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like that is a bear. I really didn't want to do ultras in my prime, but I thought about doing those two during my prime. Now I'm I'm considering doing an ultra, but every year it gets harder and harder to consider because <laughs> every year it's going to be longer and longer. Well, you certainly have no shortage of options in your area. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of things out here to run. It's just... You know, as a race timer, my opportunities are a little bit limited. I have to find weekends when I'm either not timing a race or where I can time on Saturday and catch a flight out and run on Sunday. Right. Well, Benji, this has been a really cool talk. I really learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners will too. Thanks very much for your time, and uh, have a great rest of the day. You too. Bye-bye. In our second part, we welcome Christo Landry, who's been on a tear through the U.S. road racing circuit this year, winning U.S. titles at three different distances. Some of the key points of this interview included how Christo maintains top racing fitness for a long period of time and over varying distances, some of the key workouts that form the basis of his training program, and Christo's plan to stretch his success at shorter races this spring into a good marathon in Chicago this coming fall. So, Christo, thanks so much for being on our show today. Can you start by telling us about your uh, background and how you started out in the sport? Uh, well, I don't remember it, but apparently when I was really young, I used to my grandma or my aunt or whoever was scoble them up and hand them a stopwatch and, and say, time me, time me, while I'd race around the block. Uh, I recently learned that my aunt would, if I was looking like I still had a lot of energy, told me I was going really slow, so I'd do it again. But if I looked exhausted, she'd tell me I ran a really fast time and I'd be happy and then I'd stop. <laughs> so that's apparently how I got started. And then how'd you get into running in like actually an organized fashion in school and things? Uh, well, the first time I actually ran for a team was when I was uh, the I was a freshman in high school. And uh, my fall year I didn't actually go out for cross country, I was on the golf team. And that was a very short season, so I decided I'd give indoor track a shot and ended up making the district squad in the two-mile my freshman year and figured, well, I think I'm going to do this instead of soccer because, well, I really like winning, and it looks like I'm doing pretty well here. 
and then you ended up at co- in, in college at uh, at William and Mary, which is known for definitely for its academic prowess, but um, not necessarily for its sports uh, for its sports acclaim. You know, not necessarily. However, at one point we made, I believe, 14 NCAA championships in a row, and that was, at the time, the fourth longest streak in the nation. I believe my junior year it was, we finished eighth in the nation, and then two or three years after that, we were fifth. We had a pretty good run in cross-country. So who were some of your early uh, influences in the sport? Well, it would definitely have to be the class right ahead of me in high school. There were four guys that basically made up the top fivers, those four guys and then me once I came in. And seeing the way they approached the sport where they were very serious during the runs and the workouts, yet still having a lot of fun and goofing off at the same time while staying in a structured environment, showed that you know you can have a lot of fun at the sport and still get everything you need done and be very very focused at the same time so you know we did we did very well at one point I think we were ranked in the top 10 in the nation in high school however realistic those rankings are and at the same time we were goofing off and having fun on all of our runs I mean at times we used to play tic-tac-toe on our runs with people holding up X's and O's with the two people ahead of them blindly guessing people's names. So, you know, we do crazy things like that while at the same time getting in a good maintenance run, a good regular run, and, you know, just having fun and enjoying life. So tell us about your uh, your training program at this, at this stage in your career. Well, at this stage, it's a lot more long-distance focused. I'm starting my cycle right now that's going to end in the Chicago Marathon. So I've got a few shorter races, such as the 10K and the 7-miler, one of which I just raced and one of which is coming up in a little more than two weeks. I'm not really focused on those races. I'm focused more on the long term. So, you know, earlier this week I had an hour progression run, and those are only going to get longer as I get more into marathon training. Tell us about some of those uh, shorter races you've been running. You've won, you know, three different U.S. championships this year at, at kind of varied distances. From 10k to 25k, which for those who don't speak kilometers is about 15 and a half miles. What kinds of things do you do to get ready for different races like that? Well, I don't really do all that much different. Uh, in my spring season, I'm my goal was to run a fast 10k on the track and potentially qualify for the World Championships next year. And that was one of the few things that I botched in the spring season. So. The focus there was to be track sharp, and uh, a staple of my training routine year-round is the the long tempo run. We call them pace runs, where I'll go upwards of 50 minutes running right around five-minute pace on a hilly two-mile sidewalk loop in the area, or out on some dirt roads. We've got a, a you know three-mile on and back, four-mile loops, whatever we choose for the day, and those are the staples which really prepare you well for the 10 mile, the the 15 mile, which while they may be five miles in difference, they tap into the same energy system. So if you're fit enough to run one, you're fit enough to run the other, you just have to be a little more conservative if you're running the 15K or the the 15 miler. And being track sharp really helps when you have to drop a 14 minute or 14 10 
5K in the middle of the 10-miler just to stay with people and not end up in no-man's land. So I was a really quick middle 5K in the 10-miler. So what other kinds of workouts do you do to get ready for things like that? Long tempo runs, yeah, yeah great workouts, standard for just about everything, but what, what other kinds of things do you do? Uh, well, that's, that's a staple where I'll do three to four of those a month, uh, no more than one a week. And then on the, when I'm in the, the spring season, I'm prepping for the track. Uh, I'll run thousands quite often. And you can, there are many different ways to do it. Uh, you know, one of the harder, faster ways is you get about two minutes, 30 seconds rest. Or we'll do something where we'll go start a thousand every five minutes and thirty seconds. So that'll give me a little extra rest. I remember one workout this spring. I did ten of them, and the first five were at around two forty-five, two forty-four. Put on flats. The next ones averaged just under two forty, with a two thirty-three last one, and that was definitely a much higher effort level than the previous one because it's that much faster. And uh, it's it's nice to be able to work out with the team when you're doing something like that. Just for the last one, we kind of did a reverse start where the people who were running the slowest went first and we went staggered backwards. So I wasn't the first one to finish, but I had people to chase down and I passed a majority of the team chasing them down just by the way, you know, what times they were running, what times I was running, how far back I started from them. So having people to chase down in a thousand definitely gives you added motivation and gives you that little extra edge in the workout. You've done some cross country racing also. Do you think it's important to race on different surfaces, you know, cross country in the road and on the track? I think it's important to do what you like. I mean, my favorite uh, type of racing by far is road racing. I seem to have the most success there, which it plays no little part in me enjoying it. <laughs> but also, I just have more fun at road races and during the races than I do at, at track meets for whatever reason. And while I do do a couple track meets a year just to mix things up a little bit, and I also believe my PRs are still a little soft, especially my 5K PR. I'm looking to uh, bring that down. So speaking of that, you're a uh, you know you're a professional runner, so you obviously have to make your living in the sport, and you have you know good track credentials but not outstanding ones so kind of by default you have to focus on the marathon because that's where you can possibly make an olympic team do you feel that that the shorter races you do help you with that well you see a lot of people doing marathon after marathon and personally i would get a little bored if that's all i did i enjoy racing and when you're training for a marathon you're it limits the amount of races you can do both beforehand because it compromises both your training and your ability to race in the shorter distances, plus afterwards when you have to take time off to recover from a marathon. And while I recognize the marathon is what I'm going to end up eventually, and I'd like to run a fast one now, at this point in my career, I'm not ready to do more than one a year. So I like racing the, the shorter races. And I still think I've got a chance to make the thinking on the track. Not a great one. But the quote, dumb and dumber, is a chance. <laughs> Fair enough. Having run a bunch of short races this year and getting ready for the marathon, what do you do to stay to stay fit over like over the months of the uh, of the road racing season? 
just kind of the same things or is there anything in particular that you have to that you have to adjust I don't really take much downtime for the races and so I'm not really taking much time off I train through most of them uh, say for this uh, next one coming up the big seven miler I'm running 120 miles this week 130 next week and then I'll come down and race at 105 to 110, and then the week after will be 140. So the only weeks I'm compromising, the only days I'm compromising are the, the two days before the race, and maybe the third day before the race will be a little down as well, and that accounts for the drop in the weekly mileage. But other than that, you know, if it's a Saturday race, I'll probably get 40-plus miles out of Monday, Tuesday, and I'll get... 20 plus out of race day and I'll do a, a 20 mile or longer, uh, longer on the day after the race. So I don't really come down all that much. Having three days before the race equal 20 miles really kind of freshens you up a little bit. But other than that, you know, I don't take too much downtime for the, uh, the races and this allows me to continue training and not have to worry about going stale or ruining my overall cycle. So do you think that's something that everybody can or should do, even down to recreational level runners? Do you think that people kind of back off their training maybe too much for certain races? Uh, you know, you also have to take into account that, you know, this is my job. This is my profession. I've been doing it for closing in on 15 years now. And so I'm very used to running the high mileage and uh, being able to recover from these races. Like nowadays I'm getting upwards of 10 to 12 hours of sleep a day with including my nap in the afternoon. And I recognize that that's not something that most people can do. However, for me, that's part of my job. And so I recover from races and from mileage a lot faster than other people just because I'm spending so much time taking care of my body, staying off my feet, and sleeping a ton. So I'd like to move a bit toward, uh, a little more toward marathon. What kind of training changes do you make when you're getting re getting into a marathon cycle like you're getting into now? You mentioned the hour progression run, which is only going to get longer. Um, does the volume change much or not really? Uh, my, my weekly mileage will go up. The highest I hit so last year, the highest I hit for marathon prep was 135. And in track season, I hit 130 this year, so not quite as high. Um, and then in this training cycle coming up, I'll get up to 150. So you can see my mileage is a little higher in the marathon cycles than they are in track cycles. Uh, it's also easier to hit mileage in marathon cycles because your workouts are 15, 16 miles instead of five or six. <laughs> so, so overall mileage will be up. Also, the workouts change. Uh, there's not as much reason to do fast thousands on the track as there is to prep yourself for long sustained efforts. So I'll have much longer uh, tempo runs and, and pace runs. Uh, also, if I do work on the track, it's going to be um, with much shorter rest. It'll be slower, but uh, it'll be higher in volume and lower in rest. So if I'll do my repeats, the most rest I'll get is a minute 30, sometimes only a minute. And, you know, I'll do 10 plus of those. 
Uh, last year I did 18 times a K with only one minute rest. And that's to get your body used to just running in a rhythm, um, working on low recovery and uh, getting used to paces that are more similar to marathons than they are to 5Ks on the track. So what do you think you'll be able to run for the marathon this year? I realize it's really far out and training hasn't really started yet, but what do you think you'll be able to do? Well, the goal for this year is the goal. I like setting hard goals to accomplish because you feel much better when you do hit them. It's to be the second fastest American this year by the end of my race. So at the moment, that would be sub 210.52 because uh, Jeff Huggleston just met over in Australia. If I get below 212, I'll be very happy. If I reach my goal, that'll be even better. Very nice. So in addition to all the running you do, and obviously you do quite a lot of it, do you do any kind of uh, supplemental supplementary work? I hit the weight room twice a week. It takes me about an hour and a half when I'm in there. And the main reason why I'm in there is is it keeps me healthy, keeps me injury-free, which is a problem I had uh, a lot of issues with in college. I had um, my hips would get misaligned, and that would present in my knee, and there's a reason why I had six years of eligibility in college, and I wasn't able to use those six years. So going to the weight room uh, keeps me healthy. Uh, I've also had problems with cramping on my right side in races, and so in the weight room, Two of the main focuses are you know, keeping my legs, hips, and quads strong enough that I don't have any knee issues, my hips stay in alignment, and also working on my core so that my psoas doesn't um, cause me issues during races. A lot, of, uh, a lot of runners these days, you know, pretty good runs and, and not, are adopting more and more of the strength training. Do you think there's any... Do you think... Uh, what do you think was maybe the cause for that, if you if you even know or have an opinion? Well, running is a very linear sport. You just, you know, you're going forwards, uh, but not much side to side. And so some muscles get uh, very strong, while others are very underdeveloped, and that can lead to imbalances where you get injured. And I think that's being more and more recognized recently. So people are hitting the gym and working some of those underutilized muscles to the point where they're not going to cause injury and you know I'd much rather spend an hour and a half in the gym twice a week than be injured even if you know I've been injured before I spent hours in the training room each day trying to get healthy I'd much rather be proactive about it and keep myself healthy keep myself training than to be injured and so that's why I hit the, the weight room twice a week even if it's not my favorite place to be I think a lot of runners would agree with you on that, that it, it just really isn't very fun to be injured. So, you know, I'll do what I need to do in the weight room, you know, doing strides, stretching, uh, foam rolling, whatever I need to do in that aspect to keep myself healthy. So I'd like to move on a bit to uh, a little a little bit with some different topics. Um, talk about the, uh, the USA running circuit. You uh, were the co-champion in 2012. And you have a pretty big lead in the overall point standings in this year, 2014. What kind of impact do you think the running circuit has on the sport? I think it's great for the sport. If you look at the, the track races, and unless you're you know, maybe top three or four in your specific event, 
there's not a whole lot of support for you out there, um, contract-wise or prize money-wise. So having the U.S. running circuit, which flies out a lot of athletes, puts up a lot of athletes in hotels, gives people a chance to continue running, continue pursuing their love, while same time not being financial burden and giving people access to a chance to make a living. When I first started, I didn't have a shoe contract. I had no endorsements. Yet I was able to pull in a couple of top five performances and make a little money at these races, which told me that, yeah, I've got a chance to do this. And a couple of years down the line, things are going pretty well for me. Uh, I think it's just, um, also, it, it kind of fills that void between 10K on the track and marathon. As you noted, I don't have the, the strongest track PRs. However, you know, I, I'm doing fairly well on the roads on those in-between distances. And without the, the running circuit kind of tying everything together, you kind of lose those runners who specialize in more than half marathon distance before they can walk their way up to the marathon. And that's... Uh... I've interviewed a few different people who made a pretty good living on the uh, on the U.S. road circuit on a lot of a lot of races between 10k on the track and the marathon, and it's it's harder and harder to do these days. You you seem to be one of the few that's actually been that's actually making it work, and I think that's really I think it's a really cool thing. Yeah, you know, I'm enjoying it, and it's uh, it's nice that the hard work's kind of paying off uh, this year. You know, two years ago, I pulled in a couple second places and a couple other top fives. But you really need to hit that first place to make um, uh, to make some money because it drops off very rapidly. Last year, I didn't have as many higher finishes. I think the highest I got was fourth, even though I was running faster in every single one of my races. My places were lower, so it's uh, it's nice that this year I finally broke through and I pulled in a couple of championships. In addition to keeping some guys in the sport, the uh, the running circuit is also something that's good for uh, that's good for fans of the sport because um, you can follow it and you can follow different people. Like people can be fans, say, of Christo Landry and see how he's won he's winning this race and that race and where's he going to run next. And that's I think that's something the sport is kind of needing. Oh, absolutely! It gives uh, a nice publicity aspect to it. Uh, the fact that all of the um, USARC races are taped by runner space. You know, you've got great announcers there. You get to actually follow the race instead of just looking at straight results. Uh, you know, they, those guys do a great job at the uh, pre-race and post-race interviews. So you get a, a real feel for the athlete. You get to know them a little better. Um, and also, you get to go out and, and watch the race much harder to do that for a road race than for a track race because you can't just set up one camera and have it just stay there and cover the whole thing. So it's nice that with the circuit you also get all this, all the news coverage and since it is the U.S. running circuit you've got national championships and that just brings uh, the spotlight even more towards the, the road race um, side of track and field which seems to me has been growing over the past few years and uh, is one of the ways that running as a sport can grow because it's a time when the local 
lay runner has a chance to interact with uh, some of the people they read about um, running websites and in running magazines, you know, they get a chance to run with Olympians. You know, at Peachtree, I think there are seven or eight Olympians in the field. How often do people at, at regular track meets get to run with Olympians in the same race? It, it just doesn't very really happen all that often. So I think it's these road races and the circuit is a great thing for the sport. Speaking of the of the fan part of it, as you as you just experienced at Petrie, there were fifty five thousand people that finished that race. But I would imagine if you asked at least half of them, none of them would have had any, any idea who even the Olympians in the field were. How do you think we can turn more of those people who run into fans of the sport? It's a really tough question. A question that I think all the higher ups in the sport are dealing with. One of the reasons why I like road races a lot better than track races are, it seems for track races, you fly in, you stay in your hotel, you go to the track an hour before your race, two hours before your race, what have you, you run your race and you leave right away and that's it. With road races, you go there and you kind of hang out afterwards. There's usually you know, some kind of party going on afterwards. And so just right there, you've got more exposure to the athletes. And if there's a way that we can bring, uh, let the, you know, the person who's just going out there to jog it, to give them even more exposure to the athletes, uh, you know, more, I don't know, photo opportunities, media opportunities, um, time to just chat with them, that would be a way to, to bring them and get them more involved with uh, the elite side of, of running. But, you know, as I said before, it's a tough question to handle, and it's one that needs to be addressed in the next few years because running seems to be coming on some tough times. Absolutely. That's a question I've been asking most of the people I've been interviewing lately, and uh, most of them agree that there there isn't necessarily one answer, and uh, but everybody does agree that there's there does have to be some kind of solution coming up for it. And I think Actually, yours is one that I thought I, has, has come to, to my mind as well. Maybe at the expo before the race, you can rotate in and out different athletes for an hour at a time at you know like a some kind of enclosure where they can be sitting, don't have to be walking around for hours and hours, but but a fan, but a chance to interact with the uh, with the with the as you call them lay runners. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great example of, of one way to do it. And I, as the other people have said, there's no one answer. It's going to be a collection of things that kind of snowball on each other to the point where everyone's like, oh, so when do I get to meet, meet the elite at this race instead of just not even thinking about it? If we can get to the point where everyone's excited to meet them, trying to find out the opportunities, that'll be a good point for track and field. And especially road running. Which is, which yeah. as you said, is kind of the only one, only one of one of the only sports in the world where uh, the average guy, you know, the the average guy or gal run who's just running a race because they want to run the race can actually participate in the same event as as an Olympian, as somebody at the top of their at the top of that sport. Yeah, and you had Neb starting last and passing, you know, running through, running by thousands of people at Peachtree. Uh, he was telling me that there are even people trying to stop and take pictures with him as he was grabbing water in the middle of his race. 
<laughs> so those people know who he was. True. We just need more of them to know who more people are. Absolutely. So a um, couple more things, because I don't want to keep you too much longer. What do you think is something that most everyday runners don't necessarily do that they could add to their running? A pretty general question, I know, but just do your best. Five minutes of stretching. When last summer I was working an internship while trying to run my marathon mileage, and time got short. And I found that if I was really short on time, the first thing that I would cut out is stretching, and that led me to being even more tight the next day, and it would take longer for me to warm up before I could really get into the meat of my workout. So something short and easy, five minutes of stretching. And then what kind of advice would you give to somebody preparing for their, for say, their first race or their first marathon or what have you? First marathon? Or first 10K or anything. Try and run negative splits. Don't go out there and get to the point where you're blowing up because you went out too fast. Uh, it's actually still something I have to work on in the marathon, although I've come a little closer to running even than some people have. Uh, my main goal for this upcoming marathon is just to run negative splits and not to hit a wall right around 21, 22 miles like I had in my previous two. Well, if you don't, well, if you manage that, you will join a uh, a fairly select group who have not. That's the goal. Yep. So, um, last thing before I let you go, I just want to ask this quick series of questions that I finish off all my interviews with. Number one, what's your pre-race meal? Bagels, cream cheese, Gatorade, water. What's your favorite workout, if you can pick one? Thousands of people rest. Okay. And what's your favorite race event that you've done? Uh, I kind of want to say founder, but the problem is I've had a really great experience there, then they changed race management, and I had a horrible experience there. So I can't say that. I actually have to say Peachtree. That is a first-class race right there. They do a great job in all aspects of it. And the only thing they can't control is the weather. And we had great weather there this year. And the previous year is acceptable. Or the last time I ran is acceptable. So what do you do for fun at this point in your career? <laughs> or do you? Uh, well, I enjoy golfing. Um, I try and hit that up. You know, I might get one in a week when... I'm in higher mileage. Uh, when I was in my off time after the 25K, I think I got out four or five times in a week. And uh, I like to play cards. Uh, uh, you know, and then what everyone else does. I've been been to watch on Netflix. It's a great thing to do while you're recovering. You know, to go off your feet. You're inside. You know, and um, hanging out with friends. I don't grab beers quite as often as everyone else. But that's... You know, one of the other things that happens when you choose a runner lifestyle. And finally, what race would you love to run but haven't got a chance to yet? And if you have a list, that's fine too. Well, first was August. That's that's the Olympic marathon. Fair. Uh, I would I would like to run Boston. Uh, it's it's a you know one of the have you run before in the mile? Have you run Boston? Because there are two questions you get asked. And while I don't think I'm ever going to be able to answer yes to the first one. I would like to run Boston at some point. The problem is now the opportunity cost is pretty high 
given the road race opportunities you would miss out on and the, the track races that you miss out on if you do a spring marathon as compared to what you would miss out on, which is not a whole lot if you do a fall marathon. Maybe, well, maybe it'll end up happening someday. Maybe you'll get good enough that it won't be such an opportunity cost. Yeah. If I run fast and then they, they kind of wave a lot of money at me to say, hey, come run this race. I'll be like, oh, oh, sure, why not? Well, thank, well, Christo, thanks very much for your time today. Uh, a lot of cool insights on different stuff. I think a lot. I think all our listeners will get a lot of benefit out of uh, out of hearing your insights. But uh, I'll let well, you. We'll let you get back to your day and and rest up for your run this afternoon. Okay. Well, thank you, and, and thanks for doing the interview. I mean, this also helps bring more media attention and, and more people to this sport of run. I hope. I'm. I'm certainly hoping so. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Thanks again. You're welcome. Have a good one. Bye bye. This has been a Runners Connect podcast. We'd love it if you could leave a short review on our iTunes page to let us know what you think of our podcasts and how we can make them better for you. Also, if you have a question about this episode or any other, please don't hesitate to ask. You can leave a comment on the webpage or leave us a voicemail at 617-356-7969. We'll do our best to answer as many of these questions as we can, either in a future episode or in one of our monthly Q&A sessions. I'm your host, Lucas Felden, and thanks for listening.